Morning, everyone. It's uh, good to occupy this space. It just feels a little bit different, strange, uh, different crew in front of me, but it's uh, good to be sharing with you. And I guess my, one of my hardest tasks will be that you would understand me this morning. So uh, as I tell lots of people I meet, I'm not the one with the accent. So uh, you just have to hopefully cope with my language, my choices of words, uh, and the, the way in which uh, I would communicate that. First off, though, I encourage you, to, if you've got a Bible, to uh, take it out or a means by which you can follow along because it would be good, always good to have the Scriptures open even though they're going to be on the screen and will be through the message space. Uh, it's nonetheless good uh, to have the Word of God in front of you in a familiar fashion that you can refer to and you can take back home with you and say, ah, I can't remember where it was, but it was on the page about there, and hopefully you can find that and track your way through. But we're in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. That's going to be one of the differences. I don't say Isaiah, I say Isaiah. Uh, That's my Australian version of English. And we're in chapter 40, Isaiah 40, and I want to read. It's a longish passage, but we're going to track simply through it this morning. It's verse 21 through verse 31. There are, towards the end of this reading, some very familiar words that I'm sure many of you have come across before. So Isaiah 40, verse 21. The prophet asks on behalf of God, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits, God sits, enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its peoples are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Again, God asking the question. Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Some familiar words in there, but perhaps some questions or some challenges that are presented. Again, I want to say thank you to Tim and to Jamie uh, for this privilege of sharing in this message space with you this morning. Uh, Dawn and I are on a bit of an extended adventure at the moment. I I stepped down at the end of July last year uh, after 42 years of pastoral ministry and And we're loving being here with Chris and Megan and the boys. And as Jamie alluded to, uh, Megan got a call just before we were leaving home this morning to say the hospital wanted her in this morning uh, for a COVID test and then to come back later this afternoon uh, for an induction process. So 
we're just prayerful around all of that this morning and together with them. But I face some challenges in being here uh, in the States uh, with Chris and the family, uh, particularly as it comes to spending time uh, with my grandsons. Is it tomato or tomato? Is it banana or banana? We're trying to educate them in, in proper English, by the way. Is it ketchup or tomato sauce? And then we get to church. Is it wrath or wrath? Is it Isaiah or Isaiah? So there's some language differences. And again, in the middle of all of that, I'm just hoping and trusting that whether you're sitting here or whether you're watching online, that you'll be able to follow me. But I know too that stepping into a new year can also be challenging. Sometimes a new year brings that, that desire, that thought, that uh, endeavour that things need to be new, that uh, we have to turn over a, a new leaf, that we must make New Year's resolutions. We go through that, that sort of thought process. Why 31st of December to 1st of January? I don't know. But we allocate that sort of time frame to say, here's a new year, maybe other things could be new. Now, there is great value in setting new goals, but in reality, the things we really need are often right there in front of us. They are the commitments and the pledges that we have already made and maybe just need to revisit and refresh a little bit because we've let them slide and they're not quite in that place of prominence that they should have. It's all about our focus. And that's what I want to talk about with you a little bit this morning. In Australia, we have a, uh, an eye, an optometr optometrical uh, company called Specsavers, and they've put out a, a range of uh, advertisements on TV. And I just want you to just, Jamie, we've got that video clip, have we? Good we girl, Phoebe. One. Oh, there it is up on screen. Nice so. count today. Karen, Karen, I've got a cat with no pulse here. I need adrenaline and an IV line as quick as you can, please. If you're with one of these health funds, get two pairs of designer glasses from the $199 range, complete with single vision lenses for no gap. Should have gone to Specsavers. Should have gone to Specsavers. I guess that sets a little bit of the tone of what we're looking at this morning. We can be so familiar with God and his word and the truth that the commitments of what we've made over perhaps many years. And I often stand in front of a group of people that have made those commitments at various times throughout their life and even refreshed those commitments. But we can lose focus on it because of the familiarity. We think what we've got in front of us is the real deal, but it's not really what it needs to be. I don't think there is any prefix in the English language that could be more beautiful than two little words, re, re. Two little letters that simply mean again. When you see those two letters in front as a prefix in front of a word, you know that you are meant to take the latter part of the word and revisit something important. Again, God appears to have a particular affinity for verbs that start with that little prefix, re. For instance, a little later on in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, there's me saying it now, Isaiah in chapter 44 the prophet says, on behalf of God, return to me, for I have redeemed you. Twice in that one little phrase, there is not only the return, but there is the redeem. When it seems like God has every right to turn his back on us because we have turned away from us, from him, he doesn't turn his back on us. Instead, he echoes throughout scripture, return 
to me. Again, turn, come again before me is what he is emphasizing. And there are other words that speak of a new beginning, words like resurrection and reconciliation, regeneration, redeem, refresh. We see them over and over again in Scripture. Now, I've been stirred quite a bit as I've prayed through and thought about sharing this message with you today because I've come to appreciate a little of the anticipation that you have for this coming year. Not only are we living with Chris, who is part of the leadership of the church and therefore embodying himself in all that's been happening in the life of the church, but I've had conversations with Tim around the hope and the expectations of what this January is stepping into the first Sunday in February. And I think last Sunday he mentioned that the first Sunday in February is going to be a vision Sunday. I'm so excited for you about the things that God is planning in, in the, the midst of in this fellowship. And that's why it is a time to refocus. And there's that word again, refocus. The eyesight has already been there. Let's turn again to the very things that we know should be in place in our life. Let me pause for a moment just to pray. I think that's important. Father, we ask that as we find ourselves before you this morning that you would comfort our souls. You would draw us close to you in the hope and anticipation of the truth that we revisit, the truth that we remind ourselves of this morning that should be in firm place in our life and in our relationship with you. Guide us and may your spirit speak. May our hearts be open to the thoughts that you would share with us. Amen. Our passage in Isaiah 40 this morning probably doesn't need much of an introduction to to many of you. Certainly verses 30 and 31 where we ended off that little passage. And yet it's important to realise how appropriate that passage still is. It wasn't just written a long time ago to a group of people who needed to hear it. It's God's word relevant as a voice into our hearts and lives today. Yes, the prophet was writing at a particular time in the life of God's people, the nation of Judah, the northern kingdom. They were facing attack. They were facing captivity. They had denied God and the relationship that they had enjoyed in a much fuller fashion alongside him. They were frustrated. They were fearful because God hadn't rescued them yet. And yet they were the ones who had strayed away from his decisions process. They were the ones who didn't pay regard to God and were wanting to set up different worship styles of their own. They were languishing in this place of wondering whether God was actually there for them. Maybe God didn't care. Maybe he wasn't going to help. And yet despite these words that we're reading this morning that were spoken something like 100 years before they actually came to pass... Isaiah was still there to be used of God, able to assure this future generation that God would be with them and that he would restore them. For 39 chapters, Isaiah has been laying out the process of the denial and the place where the people found themselves and he is speaking prophetically into their hearts and now he is giving them promise after promise in the remainder of the book. Yes, there were going to be challenges ahead, but in this time of confusion and discouragement, Isaiah received a message from God that caused the people to refocus. And friends, this morning as we think about God's word, I want you to refocus. It's only the 8th of January. I don't know how your year has begun. I don't know what you are thinking your year might hold for you. But if there is a day to refocus, let's make it early in this scenario of the plans and the purposes 
that God is opening up for this church. I know we all have moments when life is difficult and we feel like giving up, where things press in a little bit and they they squeeze us somewhat. We wish they were different, but they're not. At that place, the future can sometimes even look rather bleak. That's why it's amazing to think that even though this passage was written something like 2,700 years ago, think about it, 2,700 years ago or thereabouts, it is still relevant for us today. God's word lives. God's word is able to shape us and guide us and direct our thinking back into his directions. Are there not times when we have been taken captive? Maybe not by a foreign country, but, but certainly by our worries and our anxieties, our uncertainties and distresses, our grief that we find ourselves in. What we need to be is reminded that God is still the one in control. And that nothing is beyond his redemption. So we step into this new year. And it's not just about new resolutions that we may need to make. It's about a refocus on the things that are already there. Don't always look for the new. Revisit the solid stuff that is meant to be there in your life. So today's message is simple. And I want you to repeat after me. God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. No, no, that's the wrong way. That comes later. That comes later downstairs. Let's try that again. God is great. God is good. Put your hope in the Lord. That's going to be our simple outline this morning. God is great. God is good. Put your hope in the Lord. And if we are going to refocus, surely words like that, simple words that we have had impressed upon our hearts, even impressed by the Spirit of God himself, to lead us in his direction, surely they are the things that we take hold of once again. So let's see if we can pull it together. First of all, God is great. And for that reason, he is bigger than anything we face. Do you realise that? God is bigger than anything you face. No matter what this year might hold out for you, God is bigger than that. And it's surely something to focus on. In verses 21 through 26, Isaiah speaks out that greatness of God and he tries to put it into human words, all this about the majesty and the glory of who God is and his creation. And the best words that Isaiah has are that God is so far above this planet that we live on that we just look like mere insects to him. That's the only way that he can seemingly express it so that people would get it, that God is so big. So far above all that he has created that we are just so tiny in his eyesight, and yet we are still in his eyesight. He created the heavens, whether that was what was understood back then when these words were first given, or the extent of the universe as it is understood now. God is bigger than that. It hasn't changed. In 2004, scientists pointed the Hubble telescope at a a blank-looking patch of sky near the Orion constellation. The Hubble stayed focused on that spot for 400 orbits over 11 days. Just went round and round and round, just capturing images from that little space. The patch of sky they were looking at was no bigger than a grain of sand held at arm's length. That's what it was concentrating on. And yet in that one tiny patch of sky, they discovered over 10,000 galaxies. Just in that one little patch. Now there was a time when astronauts thought that our Milky Way galaxy was all there was. 
When you look up into the night sky, that's the extent of our universe. But now it is estimated that upwards of two trillion galaxies exist in our observable universe, that which we are able to comprehend, with each of those galaxies having hundreds of millions of stars. And the Lord God made them all, is what we are encouraged to understand and to focus on. More than that, Isaiah tells us that God holds all of this together, everything together. Those who think they rule the world, national leaders, corporate CEOs, influencers, sports people, whoever they are, they are just like seeds blown away by the wind. That's why God asks the rhetorical question, to whom will you compare me? We need to hear a question like that. You think you've got it all together? You think you are in control? To whom will you compare me? With the answer being an obvious, there is no one. Now, if what Isaiah says here is true, and God is great, then that means he is bigger than anything any of us will ever encounter. And that is surely worth our focus, isn't it? Think about God's track record. Moses stuttered, so God gave him a right-hand man in Aaron who could speak on his behalf. David was young and immature, so God guided his smooth stone right into Goliath's forehead. Jonah was unsure, so God sent him a big fish to convince him. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, so God made him strong in his own weakness. God in Christ endured the cross, so he received a resurrection. God is great. And he has worked consistently and faithfully through the lives of those who place their trust in him. Friends, issues may seem big, but God is bigger. Now, I don't want to make light of anything that you may be going through, you may be experiencing. But I can say with absolute confidence that God is capable for it all if you will allow him to work in your life. He is there for you if you would allow yourself to be there with him. He is bigger than anything you want to throw at him, anything others are throwing at you, anything you are going through. God is bigger, and that is worth focusing on. But it's not where we leave it, because God is great, yes, but alongside that, God is also good. Let's say that again, the two of them. God is great. God is good. And because he is good, he is tuned in to our concerns. I love that about God. I love this thought that that God is not just removed. And Some have suggested that he's just like the puppet master, you know, who, who just pulls the strings and we've got no other option but to wiggle and waggle as he does that. Others have suggested that he just winds up the mechanism and he's letting this world run, ourselves included, to our own conclusions. No, he is tuned into our concerns because he is a great God and he is a good God. These people here in Judah are headed to exile. For 70 years in that exile, they would wonder whether God had abandoned them. I guess we would be the same, wouldn't we? That we thought that this is where we're meant to be. We're meant to be in our home, in our country, in our place where we can worship God. And yet we're removed. And we have nothing of that. In fact, it's all taken away from us. We would be wondering whether God has forgotten about it. Yet think about Isaiah's challenge to these people here in verse 27. Why do you complain? My way is hidden from the Lord. My my cause is disregarded by my God. Why do you complain like that? 
I don't know if you ever get lost in your thoughts, thinking maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's just too busy. Why do I find myself, and I'm praying the same prayer over and over and over again, it just seems like God is not there. He's not paying any attention. It's tempting to do that. Do you know when we do that, our focus is all wrong. We've taken our eyes, our heart off the Lord. We ask our questions, but nagging away at the back of our minds is that we actually do know. We actually have heard. And yet we think and act as if we didn't. We want to take it back from God. He's not the one in control. He's not big enough for this. So I want to take it, thank you very much. I want to run with this and make my choices. There's a beautiful phrase here in verse 28. It says, his understanding no one can fathom. I love that about God. You know, I put my mind to it and I've done so over a lot of years and and put my mind to how can I explain God's word in a way that people would get it and it would make sense in their life, in their heart and make a difference for them. I've tried to reason that for myself. What, What does that mean? What do I get out of that? But despite how close I might come or how far away from it I am, I still will not ultimately understand what God is planning in it all. I've got to trust him. Faith comes into its own in that very place where I don't get it, yet God does and he wants me to rely upon him. We are finite beings and we, and we can't claim to know the infinite, infinite mind of God. We have a limited view and a limited capacity for analysing and problem solving. A good capacity, yes. We have been created that way as capable people, but it's still a limited one. So who are we to think that we can dictate to an all-knowing, all-powerful God? He is the creator, not us. He has dominion over everything, not us. And friends, what keeps us strong, what actually keeps us in the place where we are meant to be, is faith and trust and patience and humility before God. That's where our focus needs to be. So if you're going to bring anything into this new year, if you're going to bring anything into your life, yes, put the other things around it that buffer it and that you need to deal with, but reacquaint yourself with the things that you already have, that you already know, and live in the beauty and wonder of that. So what Isaiah does is remind us that God does care. And that's why all these years later, verse 29 is still true and powerful. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Because right when you think you're at the end of your rope or your wit's end, however you need to put it, God helps you to keep going. He reacquaints you to that proper and better focus. That's worth it. That's the place we are meant to be. So God is great and God is good. Can you say those two with me again? God is great. God is good. And this is where our refocus really takes on importance. Put your hope in the Lord. What is the third one? Put your hope in the Lord. It's one thing to say that there is a great God out there, that there is a good God out there. But if that means nothing for me here, what's the point? James reminds us that even the demons know that there is a God. They tremble at that thought. They have no thought at all of moving in God's direction. (coughs) Excuse me. Don't be those that say God is great and God is good. But I do nothing with it. Be those who put your hope in him. Can I encourage you? Let's, 
Look at those familiar words again. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Can I encourage you as you read through your Bible, please don't miss the small words and their importance. Sometimes the link words can be so key to what the passage really is wanting to tell you about. At the beginning of verse 31, there's the word but. I like to say it's a good but, and I'm not talking about the B-U-T-T, I'm talking about the B-U-T. It's a good but. There are some buts that are not nice at all. I think you're a nice guy, but. You've been doing some good work, but. And when you hear that but, you know that what's going to follow, what is linked to the first phrase, is going to take away from it, don't you? You understand that. But here in verse 31, it's a nice but because Isaiah is speaking about the inevitable and he follows it with a reason for our hope. You will become weary and weak, but if your hope is in the Lord, you will become strong again. If my hope is in who? The Lord. If my hope is in the Lord, that's where my strength lies. I hope you see it there. Now we have a different understanding of the word hope. We get lost in the uncertainty of it. Uh, I hope it's going to be a good day tomorrow. I hope uh, my plans for this week will come together. We have this iffy maybe type of understanding, appreciation of, of what hope is, but not in God's equation. In God's terminology, hope refers to a certain expectation. It's not that you hope things are going to get better. It's more that you know that God is the one who is driving it and that it will come through in his way and in his time. Some translations of verse 31 use another word that says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. You may have heard that translation. It's the same idea. It's placing the trust that you have in the presence of God himself. One writer I read says that to have hope in the Lord literally means to cling to him just as a vine entwines itself around a tree. That's what we're doing. Those who have got to know me over, over many years, people and churches that I've pastored, they've known because I've spoken about it so many times. John chapter 15 is my favourite passage in all of Scripture. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, says verse 5, he will bear much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. The vine entwining itself around the tree, clinging, abiding, remaining. If our hope for strength is ultimately in ourselves or others or things, we will be let down and we will not have that which is the purpose that God has created us for. It's like when Jeremiah walked through the streets of Jerusalem right after the city had been destroyed. He looked at all the desolation and he cried out to God and he said, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness, the gall. I remember them well and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I recall to mind and therefore I have hope. What does he recall? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Some of us have sung a hymn for many, many years wrapped around those words. Great is your faithfulness. O God, my Father. Are you hanging on to God with all you have? Is your hope in him as you step into this new year? 
How is your focus as you determine what your future needs to be about? Sometimes we're so tired and we can't see any way forward. Yet, nonetheless, we're still encouraged to put one foot in front of the other. I encourage you to do that. Even when you can't see, don't, don't be those that are sitting idly, just waiting for, for the hope to come. No, start to be in motion that God might, might guide and direct you. Our focus is to keep trusting, to keep trying, to keep hoping. We may have reached the end of that rope, but God never will. God does come through. He renews us. He is there for us in every way if we would set our focus on him. Don't be the foolish ones who says God is great, God is good, but you don't do anything with it. Put your hope in the Lord is what we're encouraged. <coughs> he takes our weariness. He replaces it with his strength. That's why Paul, many, many hundreds of years later, could say, when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Because I know where my hope is. I know upon whom I am relying. God helps us to rise up and to soar along. He causes us to run in life like we have never run before, or at the least, to walk without fainting. Some of us would be happy just to do that, to walk without fainting. So if you're concerned about what is ahead of you, what this year might hold, can I encourage you simply as one looking on from the sidelines a little bit. Quit trying harder. Start focusing your trust. In fact, refocus. And that re means again, remember, we looked at that, again, focus. Refocus is not a new thing. The focus is already there according to the word and how it's constructed. Go again to that which you know, what your eyes, your heart, your mind your life, your soul is directing you to appreciate. Refocus on the life you have been blessed to enjoy in Christ. Yes, let's be those who hand over all that is going on at the moment, our joys and fears, our certainties, our uncertainties, any reservations, any suspicions, any dreads. Let, be those, let us be those who hand it all over. Let's give it over to God who is much bigger and so good to care for everything and for everyone. Hope in the Lord. There's your best focus. Wait on the Lord. There's your best focus. And watch as God brings his best out in all that is ahead of you. Because it is about, again, focusing. Refocus. One more time. God is great. God is good. Put your hope in the Lord. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, it is a joy and a delight to return to your word and to look at it again and again and again. It is so encouraging to understand that you are the one who leads us. You do not forsake us. You don't wind us up and hope for the best. You have determined our comings and our goings. So, Father, we are before you bowed this morning, desiring that we would be led of you, we would be taught of you, we would be shaped of you. That, Father, in putting our hope in you, we would know what it is in this focus of life to draw out the very best. Be with us in those times of unsettling that may be ahead of us. When we're uncertain, may we find that certainty that is in our Saviour Jesus. The strength that comes because your spirit is within. And if it should be that we have wandered so far away that we need to return in humility and rededication 
then, Father God, may it be that we would bow before you and do exactly that. We start this year, we're a week in, and we come, Lord. We would be your people this year. Guide us and be with us through Christ our Lord, we ask it. Amen.